Welcome to Globally Speaking, sponsored by Moravia and Nimsy Insights. Are you ready to dive into the most critical issues impacting language localization today? Globally Speaking is an independent program designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who's engaged in global communications. Your hosts for Globally Speaking are Renato Beninato and Michael Stevens. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. And now, here are Renato and Michael. Welcome to Globally Speaking Radio. This is Michael Stevens, and today we've got a special guest on our show, Hannah at Box. So let's get the conversation started. I'm Hannah Kanabejowskaya. I'm from Belarus, and hence the last name that's so challenging to pronounce. Yes. And I work at Box as a localization manager. You pronounce it very well, much better than Thank I you. would have. People have given me that compliment before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. many times. That's great. <laughs> I now feel confident in my pronunciation <laughs> of my own last name. <laughs> so, Anna, what are you responsible for here at Box? I'm responsible for the international product, but I also help out other teams with marketing, with community content. So... My general responsibility is focusing on product, but I feel my personal responsibility for the entire customer journey for our international users. So give our listeners a sense of the size and scale of what's happening at Box and how you've seen it grow since you've been here. Yeah, so in terms of employees, we've grown maybe 30 to 50 percent. In terms of how we are, we go about our strategy and the, the thinking around localization and around developing our products, I feel like we've grown a lot because now we're using more data. We're less focused on what an individual salesperson would ask us. For example, in localization, and it's, it's all across the company. It's not just localization because localization is just moving with the rest of the product, right? So product team gets better, we get better together. But one of the examples would be in the past days, pre-localization team, some engineer could just come in and, and just say, oh, I want to add my language. And they would just translate into their language and then they publish the application in that language. I've seen random languages on our applications because of that. And it's now that we have a team and we see the data on who actually uses these languages. Even if you have a few users in that language, it's really hard to take it down. Yeah. So to companies that are just starting, I think they need to understand first where their users are mm-hmm. instead of just throwing languages out there. That data is a cure to the passionate engineer or the passionate salesperson who's like, hey, just let me get this out. Yeah. I'll, I'll do so much better. And then you guys can look at the data and say, "Yeah, now might not be the time or let's find an intelligent way to test that to see yeah. if it is the time. Yeah. And people really respond very well to data. So nowadays when I get a sales request, that's exactly what I do. I would show them the data and say, you know how to get your language in and just bring us more customers. And and that would be automatically reflected in our roadmap. Yeah. Some of the companies I've talked with, they look at number of users in a 
region or a country, they look at website traffic. It used to be that companies would say, what are the top 20 companies in GDP? And that's where we're going because that was sort of the only metric they had to Mm. make those decisions. Are there any other data points that you you see as significant that companies should think of? Yeah, I don't think it's fair to take a country's GDP and just think that you will sell proportionally in that country. You have to really understand who your users are and how many of them live in the country and what is their purchasing ability. So these are all data points that you can actually get from research and there's the CIA World Book site or World Facts, I don't remember, site out there, but it's all free data, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're doing your initial research, it's really easy to get that data. So people should really be focusing not just on a very generic look at a country, but they should be focusing on the, the potential users. Yeah. How deep does your team go with personas? Like, are there different personas in region or in country? In any B2B company, you will have at least three. It will be the buyer of the product, the user of the product, and then the administrator. And then our fourth persona would be the developer. Mm -hmm. These are very generic personas. Obviously, when you're developing features, then you have to think about the the more granular use cases. But even when you look at the admin buyer, user, developer, and you have all this content that's catering to these people, you can see how effective this this content is for them. As an example, our marketing site, will the end user ever go there? Probably not so frequently unless they're subscribing for a free version of Box or they're looking for some information on troubleshooting their issues and end up on the marketing site by mistake. So the marketing site is created for the buyer, right? Mm -hmm. And so the more buyers we get in, the effect is multiplied on the user side in product because these buyers will get, you know, a hundred seats or a thousand seats for their company. So that site should really cater to people who are buying technology and should be more detailed and there should be more focus on security, on general content management, whereas the product, it's for end users. So it Mm -hmm. needs to be user-friendly, right? And in our products, security is kind of implied. And because the products are for users, we're trying to remove the security barrier so it's not visible to the user and they just use it in their everyday life. While in the back end, we have security. So it's kind of a, I like how we're kind of security, right? But yeah, so the, the product is more for the end user and also for, for admins, the marketing side is for the buyer. Mm-hmm. And this is what we have to understand when we think about the, the data inputs that go into deciding into which languages to localize. Mm-hmm. The more conversations we have with companies, the more we see the international or localization teams thinking like a marketing strategy team. And there's a lot of overlap there in their use of data and their focusing on personas and how to best capture the right person at the right time. You can call it the marketing strategy, but it's actually the the customer journey strategy. So we are a very unique team 
and I'm sure so many people have said it before that the localization team is kind of across the company and works across the customer journey. Mm -hmm. And the good thing about it is that we can look at data across all of these steps and we can actually surface some data from marketing, for example, the rates of customer acquisition to our customer support team mm -hmm. so that they know what to expect, right? Yeah. So we can be that funnel that brings data to other teams. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome to hear that as an advantage for a localization team. Because so many people, we hear these stories of like the lack of impact they're having in the industry but when you or in their own companies. But when you see that you're spread across the entire customer journey, you have all this access to all this data, you can yeah. be a big contributor. I can give you a hypothetical example where data kind of moves down the funnel from acquisition to usage to support. So an example would be, say you are a person responsible for your support site, where you have all the articles that would describe how the product works and how it's helpful to the user. So whenever a user has a problem, they would go to the support site. Okay. So a few months ago on our support side, we're looking at visitor data and we only have French and Japanese on the support side right now. So as you can imagine, there are very few people coming from other countries where the languages are not spoken. Because it's not available to them. Yeah. yeah. Or, or who knows why, you know, yeah, it's not available. Maybe like we don't really lead to that site. There are a lot of reasons, but... I suspect that one of the reasons is that they just can't sit in their language, right? Mm -hmm. So when you look at the data from that support side, you may say, oh, there is not enough demand from users in Germany or from, from customers in Russia because not so many of them are coming there. But that's really the wrong way to look at the data. The correct way to look at the data would be to look at the product data and to look at the distribution of users on product, because that would give you the idea of who's using the product and how likely they are to come to the support side, mm -hmm. just because there are more of them, right? Otherwise, why would you come to the support side? I mean, you could come to the support side if you're a buyer and want to learn more, but the major use for the support side is for the product users to go get more information. Mm -hmm. So the correct way would be to look up the funnel for the support people, right? They would look at product data and use it to plan localization for support. Mm -hmm. And similarly, similarly, on marketing side, so if I were to wonder from what countries will users come to products, I should be looking at the marketing site and at our sales data, because this is what, I don't have these users on product yet, but they will come in soon. Mm -hmm. So where are they going to be coming from? I can look at the sales pipeline and at our marketing data, at our data from our partners. And that would give me an idea, what should I add on product to be ready for these people to come in? Mm -hmm. Our listeners love hearing stories. So there, there are two questions. One is, how many languages are you guys currently supporting? And then... What is a, a user story, someone from Box that your team has had like an impact or, or what's something that's happened in the program that you could share that mm. our listeners would enjoy? Let's see. So we support 23 languages. We're adding two more in the coming month. And a user story, there was this actor, very famous in Hollywood. A lot of you guys 
probably love this actor, but I cannot disclose the name, which is kind of lame because that would be so much fun. Yeah, but I kind of love it. My mind is running wild right now. Yeah, who could it be? Yeah. Who could it be? Mm-hmm. He's in so many Oscar-winning movies, and he's kind of like, he has this kind of personality, but don't try to guess. Okay. Okay, so there's this actor. And one of the media companies that we provide our services to was in a trial period for Box. Okay, so they didn't buy us yet. So they said, okay, we have this urgent script that we have to send to this very famous person. Usually what they would do, they would upload the script to an iPad and they would ship the iPad to the actor. And so by the time the iPad will arrive he would you know go over the script or they would just send the paper version Mm -hmm. so instead what they did with box they gave him the app and gave him access see now you know that it's it's a guy okay they Mm -hmm. gave the actor the access (laughs) to that script which was highly confidential because it's a movie that they were planning and so the feedback from the actor is that he was just amazed and he read it on his way, his plane from, I don't remember what it was, LA to that company. And it was really quick and he was just very impressed. And he even quoted Box in whatever he was saying. So after that trial, they actually signed they a signed contract with you with guys. Us. And the reason they were taking those other antiquated steps were to provide that security around yeah. the script you guys were able to convince the company that your solution is just as secure, if not more. Yeah, probably more. Yeah, Yeah. probably more. If you're not mailing things and your hard copies, you don't even know who's accessing it and seeing it. That's a good use case and a good story. Security has become a larger topic in our industry, especially last year after Translate.com and their use of company's data publicly, though it was said in the user's agreement that they would do that, people didn't realize that that was the case. And so you guys are a company that's very concerned about your user's security. What you can share about that is great because I think that's a, mm-hmm. a kind of a fundamental of your your product. But then also as a buyer of localization, what's the expectation from your partners Right. So we have all of these trainings on security and privacy. So now I slightly understand the difference between security and privacy. Well, start there. Start yeah, there for so us. Yeah, so at Box, we're, we really care about both. And we have a lot of trainings constantly and tests at Box to make sure we're not violating security or privacy and we're not letting other people violate that of our customers because our customer data belongs to them and Whatever they have there, nobody's supposed to touch mm-hmm. ever. So day-to-day, I was going to share a few stories about, yeah. about day-to-day stuff on how we try to make sure that we observe all the secure rules. Well, you guys already noticed the revolving doors. Oh, yeah. The, phys- <laughs> the, the actual physical here. security in yeah. the space. Yeah. So there is there's physical security. We lock our laptops. If somebody forgets to lock their laptop 
everybody notices and we even have this shortcut to go to that would put something very embarrassing on your screensaver mm-hmm. and lock it for you and then your screensaver would you know display something very embarrassing to remind you the next time to lock it when yeah, you yeah yeah okay. so we try to warn people of not doing it so physical security let's see what else do we have we have we've got badges have you guys been to have you seen server rooms so there are servers they're huge buildings. I was my first server room that I visited was at eBay, and then I saw the one from Box. You walk in, and there's an armed guard in the room, wow. <laughs> so that nobody breaks into that room. So data is pre- the physical security is is pretty good. So mm-hmm. if somebody comes to visit us, like you guys, you come to visit us, then I'll have to follow you around to make sure you don't take anything mm-hmm. that would be very weird but i have to do that unless i know you very well and you're going to the bathroom i'm not going to follow you there so working at an lsp i hear that sort of story and i know that the lsps i've worked for have nowhere near the level of security that you would have at a company like box how do you evaluate your partners and their level of security. What are the expectations there? Yeah, so there are a few different types of localization partners that we are working with. One of them is localization service providers. Mm -hmm. So the content that we're sending to them, we send it through Box or we send it through TMS. When it comes to customer data, that's the highest priority. Your product is responsible in it. If it's a random set of software strings... That's not now. If it's a new product update and that, like all these features or something that's new yeah. on the market, that might be higher priority, but still not sort of business critical. Yeah, for sure. And still, we we check there are certifications that would certify you as a company that would protect the data of your client. Mm-hmm. We did put, I think, an additional clause into our agreements with vendors that. They are responsible. If something happens, then they're responsible for the data that they leaked. So this is just for the service providers, though. When we buy tools that have something to do with our code or somehow integrate into our systems, Mm -hmm. that goes through a very rigorous process. We have a combined team, security, legal, and compliance that would review every tool and they would ask a lot of questions, get documentation from the provider of the tool. And then one of the tools recently, we couldn't really use it in the way that we wanted to because security blocked us. Mm -hmm. So we had to create a completely separate site for international to be able to use that tool. Okay. Because on our... It wasn't the tool's problem, by the way. It was kind of our, not a security vulnerability, but it would become if we had used the tool there. Yeah. And then this is also the reason why we decided to build an in-house continuous localization system for the strings, specifically because we didn't want to plug in some tool directly into our code base. So now we have this mojito, which we open sourced and can be just used in small companies for localization. Mm -hmm. But for us, it also serves as a layer of security because it can pass around XLIVs through APIs, but 
Otherwise, we would have to integrate a TMS directly into our code base. There are actually some translation agencies. Some of our engineers moved to other companies. They're now trying to implement Mojito there. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, so a few companies are using it. It's a very basic tool. It doesn't have leveraging. It does. It's good to separate your code from a TMS, and it's good for a good overview of all of your strings and your product. And it checks the different variables if they're omitted. Okay. Is it available in GitHub or where can people yeah, find yeah. it? Yeah, if they're it's interested? on GitHub. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, they should check that out. We have a site, mojito.global, uh, okay. where we store documentation. Okay. There's a great book out there called How to Lie with Data. And it's a short classic novel or novel book. But one of the principles is when you're looking at large batches of data, often the outliers, you just you, you throw them out. If you want to have clean, uncorrupted data, mm-hmm. that's the way to do it because it's going to skew. It's going to skew your mean. It's going to skew whatever you're trying to make your case from. If you have that one user in Antarctica, it's going to throw you off. So to focus on yeah. that is really violating a lot of principles. Yeah, and I mean, do you really want to waste your time? Are you that interested in that user? But I know that there are some stories in the news where company employees would actually go and look at that data. And that's just, to those people, I just say, that's wrong. Yeah. And you're wasting your time. Yeah. Could be spending it on much useful, more useful things. Much better uses of that. (laughs) Yeah. This podcast was produced by Burns360. You can subscribe to Globally Speaking on iTunes or any number of podcast portals. You should check out our other episodes on globallyspeakingradio.com where you can find transcripts and old notes for every show. You can also listen to us on your smart speaker. Thank you for listening to Globally Speaking, sponsored by Moravia and Nimsy Insights. We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions and feedback. So until next time, please visit online at www.globallyspeakingradio.com.